Large financial services firms who build ESG plans, especially ones that outline a clear strategy around climate change, are gaining reputations as sustainability powerhouses. But how are banks driving today's green agenda while also helping to combat the COVID-19 crisis? And what should institutional investors look for in banks' sustainability targets? Joining us for insight into this is Christiane Desaglis, Head of Sustainable Finance and Investments, Global Banking and Markets at HSBC. Christiane, thank you for joining us. Let's talk about the role of banks in really supporting and promoting sustainable finance. Where are sure. they now and where is the plan in terms of where they could be in the next couple of years? Sure. So look, COVID-19 to a certain extent could be a, a, a foretaste of things to come with uh, abrupt climate change. So we know today we are heading towards uh, a, a a pretty substantial degree of uh, level of warming within 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 uh, within our our climate, uh, and this has some potentially major consequences in terms of uh, crop failure, in terms of flooding, in terms of uh, extreme weather events, hurricanes, and so on and so forth. But also, um, you know, with sea levels rising, potential massive displacement of of population. So same thing here. You know, as with the pandemic, we 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 have been we've been warned about those those risks i mean the scientists have been uh, have been uh, drawing our attention to that and and the financial system is not is not fully prepared so uh, central banks supervisors are now and for the last couple of years have been quite engaged i would say uh, with uh, pushing the green agenda and when i'm saying the green agenda i don't mean they, they want to you know necessarily to, to green everything but they want the financial institutions that they are supervising to take into consideration climate related risks uh, and 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 to make sure that this is in the way they assess credit uh, they can take into consideration you know risk of stranded assets risk of changes in business models uh, so there is a, a very broad international uh, coalition called the network for greening the financial system uh, which uh, now comprises more than 60 central bank and and supervisors that uh, are together uh, trying to make sure that the financial institutions are taking those risks into consideration and are prepared and are resilient uh, to face potential uh, climate risks. Now, the banks also are pushing the sustainability agenda with, with their clients because not only the banks are subject to a potential climate risk, but also you know every every single company, whether they operate in uh, high carbon sectors or in, in low carbon sectors. So, so the banks are prepared and are preparing themselves to provide advice, to provide uh, uh, solutions and services to these, these clients so they can better adjust to the transition to a low carbon economy. So what should be top of mind for institutional investors as it relates to sustainable finance targets? We talked about climate risk, high carbon versus low carbon. Those things sounds like, sound like they should really top the list. But if we're looking at, say, the top three to five priorities, what priorities should institutional investors have as it relates to sustainable finance targets and those green themes? Yeah. So um, I think what's really important to understand is that uh, 
for all the themes related to uh, ESG, I would say, environment, social, and governance aspects. There are some risks associated with that. Uh, thinking about, you know, stranded assets or changes in business models or new regulations, carbon price, for instance. But there are also some opportunities. So the companies that are providing services towards the green economy, energy efficiency, clean tech, uh, uh, hydrogen, maybe. So there are a lot of opportunities and new sectors which are going to be emerging, which are emerging in the health sector as well as in the environmental sector. So for an investor, it's extremely important to be able to appraise, evaluate, and analyze the data coming from, from the companies in which they invest. So having proper disclosure, having proper transparency and visibility on the activities within a company which are linked to let's say climate change or 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 or, or health uh, uh, related uh, topics so being able to assess the risks and opportunities and being able to do that will deliver uh, outperformance and is delivering outperformance. We've done some some analysis, for instance, of uh, the, the relative performance of the highly rated ESG stocks against the uh, rest of the, of the of the market against the benchmark, and there is very clear outperformance in all regions throughout all um, um, uh, periods. Very clear outperformance of the highest rated ESG scores, uh, ESG rated companies. There is clear outperformance from the stocks that are linked to uh, climate change vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the market. And investors are seeing that. Investors are noticing that uh, the flows going to ESG funds uh, continue to be steady. Money is stickier in uh, ESG funds. So if we go through the rigor, say an institutional investor goes through the rigor of assessing the risks and the opportunities, they may find a huge sustainability strategy, but they may also find that fossil fuel is still in the, in the picture. What types of inherent conflicts does, does this present? And how should institutional investors who are focused on ESG portfolios handle these type of, types of conflicts? Is that a conflict in itself? What yeah. do you think? Yeah, it's a it's a very good it's a very good question. So so there are several ways you can you can deal with that. You can choose, I would say, the old way, which is exclusion. So you're not going to be investing, let's say, in uh, in uh, high carbon uh, stocks. I'm not sure that this is the best way because you're giving up your your rights and you're giving up your power as a shareholder. So I think it's important to engage and to have stewardship. And uh, and there are some really important um, associations and coalitions that have been put together. One called Climate Action 100 Plus, for instance, which represents a very very large number of extremely important investors. BlackRock joined uh, recently that coalition that systematically is engaging with the 100 uh, and and, and plus uh, um, public companies that are the highest uh, emitters of greenhouse gases, the highest emitters of, uh, of CO2. So you create a relationship with these oil and gas companies, for instance, or other companies that are the largest CO2 emitters uh, to help them 
to steward them to, to act or to to exert your stewards your stewardship to to steer them in the direction of the transition to a low carbon economy and you see more and more companies taking and making some really important commitments we saw uh, uh, shell we saw total recently uh, make commitments that they are going to be net zero by 2050 in, a, in, in alignment with the paris agreement so they are there there are various um, stakeholders which are pushing them in this direction and investors have a huge role to play. So with that being said, if we look at and, and refocusing it back on banks, if we look at the Paris Agreement and the temperature goals that were set um, therein, we know that global emissions need to be cut. I mean, really no if sands buts about it. What type of work is needed in financial services for that sector specifically, for the banking sector specifically, to make the changes needed to meet the goal? Well, I mean, the, the banks have a very important role to play. The banks have to accompany those clients that are not in line with the, the Paris Agreement to uh, steer them in the, the right direction, providing new services, providing products. We've put in place, for instance, uh, uh, green bonds, which, which are you know, essentially uh, uh, bonds for which the use of proceeds is going to, uh, to, to green activities, whether it's uh, renewable, whether it's uh, water treatment, pollution. And, and so on and so forth. Uh, we see uh, the development of sustainability-linked loans and sustainability-linked bonds, which have very clear objective targets, KPIs, uh, for a company to follow in order to benefit, for instance, from a, a reduction of the interest rate or a step up, or if they don't meet the, the, the criteria that they have set, which uh, uh, are sustainability goals, then we see a, a, a step up in, in, in the coupon. So there are a variety of new instruments which uh, the, the, the market and banks are developing in order to nudge those companies into a, a, a pathway which is compliant with the Paris Agreement. And we've seen a significant step up in, in commitments from all the large banks, you know, Citi, Goldman, uh, uh, HSBC, Bank of America, and so on and so forth. So, and, and let's talk a bit about, about COVID and banks. We know that um, the banks are having a huge impact as it relates to COVID with COVID bonds, etc. In the past, during crises, not just pandemics of this nature, but even if we look at 2008, the global financial crisis, we see banks had quite a, a different role, <laughs> well, a hugely different role. So let's talk about the impact that banks are having now and where you see banks in terms of their position moving forward with various types of crises that may hit the market, even with these types of pandemics that may come in the future. What will be banks' role in terms of how they will make a difference? Yeah, but banks are, I think, playing a, a a very important role today. And, uh, um, and on the capital market side, I mean, we've seen a really impressive uh, rise of uh, what we call the, the COVID bonds or the uh, uh, response social um, uh, bond uh, with an impact on uh, on, on the alleviation of the macroeconomic and uh, and uh, and social consequences of uh, of the coronavirus uh, crisis. Uh, we've we've seen very very uh, impressive issuance from uh, from from agencies, multilateral development banks, governments, uh, banks also. 
uh, of those new social bonds um, that have been done, I would say, with the same type of framework as the as the green bonds. So with a, you know, we we call them use of proceeds bonds, where the money is raised to provide specific support for SMEs, for the health system, for uh, support of, uh, of, uh, of of small businesses, or you know, alleviation in general of the macroeconomic impact. So I think the the Step up to the to the to the plate on that uh, on that front and uh, and continue to provide financial innovation where it's needed. But it's interesting to see how the you know this uh, green bond market has been evolving into uh, uh, a wider variety of uh, larger family of uh, of, uh, of socially oriented bonds. Great. And finally, Christian, let's talk about greenwashing and the, what that concept means and. We want to know in context of what types of activities do you see as hindering banks' sustainability efforts? I guess we can look at the concept of greenwashing as being more reputational, so uh, having a reputation of greenwashing, but what actual activities as well as reputational constructs might be hindering banks' sustainability efforts? Yeah, there is a, always, I would say, uh, some reputational risk in any any type of uh, of activity. So there have been some some I would say significant safeguards put in place in order to to try and manage and reduce and avoid as much as possible this risk of uh, of greenwashing. So that was particularly present, at, I would say, at the beginning uh, when when the green bond market started to develop. But over the last few years, we've we've seen uh, the development of all the cottage industry, I would say, uh, around around the green bond market to to try and and reduce that risk to to the mix the maximum. So first of all, we've got now uh, green bond principles, which are pretty broadly accepted, and which clearly specify in which activity uh, the proceeds of a bond must be invested. Not only does specify that, but it it forces the issuers uh, to prove that indeed the the, the, the proceeds that were earmarked to a certain activity were used for that activity. Um, so, so I think there is there is less greenwashing, but you cannot all reduce it to uh, to to zero. And and when a, a bond does uh, get uh, you know reclassified or is not classified as uh, as green, uh, then there are there are some some potential reputational risks for the issuer and also for the, the banks that have been participating in that. But I think over time this this risk is becoming better and better managed. Well thank you very much. Christian Desaglis from HSBC. Thank you so much for your time, Christian. Thank you very much, Kisha. Pleasure to be with you. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. You can even check us out on YouTube now. Thank you for joining. See you next time.